the health and wellness world is full of conflicting information, old research, and one-size-fits-all dogma that leaves people feeling lost, confused, pissed off, and frustrated. I'm here to help you solve the complex world of nutrition one conversation at a time by breaking down complex yet helpful concepts into easy-to-understand pieces with actionable tips and tricks. I'm your host, Kate Kroll. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and truth seeker. I've worked with hundreds of clients over the last five years, and I'm so excited to share my knowledge and resources with you. Aside from nerding out on nutrition and empowering others to take charge of their own health, I'm also obsessed with entrepreneurship, self-improvement, sustainability, and living a life full of intention and authenticity, all of which we'll toss into our conversations here on the podcast. So sit back, grab a cup of your favorite kombucha, and let's get into today's episode. Welcome to episode 17. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the two gentlemen of Pasture Provisions. Pasture Provisions is the meat CSA that we currently use here in Colorado, and they are proud to serve the residents of the greater Denver metro and Boulder area with their farm-to-door subscription delivery service. They feature grass-fed beef and lamb, pasture-raised pork, chicken and eggs, assorted locally grown leafy greens, and seasonal vegetables and fruits. Their philosophy at Pasture Provisions is you are what you meet. M is in parentheses on that as a visual, uh, which is the belief that we should only be eating animals and vegetables that are fed their natural food sources and never given GMO feed, growth hormones, pesticides, or other nasty stuff. I think we can all agree on that. They also believe that if you eat meat, it should be ethically raised and meet the highest quality of animal welfare standards. A quick promotion before we get into this interview today, you can use code EATLOCAL, all caps, one word, E-A-T-L-O-C-A-L, for 20% off your first subscription order. Hell yeah. Get on that if you're local to Colorado and in Denver and in Boulder. Awesome deal. And now we're going to get on to the episode. So you guys are the co-founders, co-creators of Pasture Provision. So tell me a little bit about how you guys met. How did this start? Like, where does the passion come from? Like what, how did this all come together? Yeah, so we actually were a couple roommates at CU together. Um, so we lived down the hall in the dorms and then ended up living together uh, most of our, our time up at CU. So I guess uh, good businesses uh, often start with good friendships. So we've been uh, great friends for uh, uh, 20 years now or so um and uh yeah we uh, decided to, to get this venture underway about four years ago so um i'll let andrew dive into a little bit of kind of what uh, some of the the drivers were behind why we created pasture provisions and and what we were trying to uh, kind of fill in the marketplace yeah i was uh living out in uh grand junction and pal bounced between grand junction and palisade at the time for my day job and um JT was in Denver, just, I think, moved back from Minnesota. Um, and there was a, you know, I spent a lot of time in Montrose, a lot of time in Gunnison. There was a, um, there was a farm doing like a, you know, CSA type delivery out there. And I think it was a, about the time that, you know, I was, I, we're both like pretty, um, you know, pretty involved, like home cooks. Like we, we're, we really like both enjoy it. And we talk about that a lot. Um, and then, you know, there was a time when the, I think it was like a food documentary or something I was, I was really getting into at the time. And I'm like, God, this, this is just crazy. And there's, there's these guys out here in Junction that are doing like something kind of cool. And I'm like, I think that would be like awesome in Denver. Like, and I started looking around and 
you know, JT, I called JT and he was like, yeah, you know, we just kind of started thinking about how do we get some of these smaller farms a little more, some of their products, you know, to the masses a little more, a little more accessible. Um, it was easier when you lived in a rural area because you know who they are or, you know, it's just a little, it's a, you're a little closer to it, but in the city, it was, it was more difficult. So um, we started looking around for farms and I was out there. So I, uh, you know, we landed on Bill and Kelly Parker in Gunnison. I called them and went out and visited and I'm like, and, and they kind of shared our idea and they were super excited and um, it kind of grew from there. And we're like, well, you know, we could, we could work with some of these really small, these, some of these smaller guys doing like all the right things and, and kind of bring it to, you know, a bigger demographic in a way that outside of buying like a whole cow or a half a cow or, you know, a, a whole pig, uh, you know, what, what would be a little easier, you know, so not everybody has a freezer or chest freezer in the garage or wants to just deal with the upfront expense or any of those reasons. So we, it's kind of where it stemmed from. And we honestly, like ever since the day we started, we first talked about it, we kind of ran with it. And ever since then it's been, it's been going. So. That's awesome. That's yeah. And I'm, we're, I'm a big farmer's market guy and love shopping them. And, you know, what I found particularly in Denver was there was really a lack of, of, uh, protein vendors available. A, a few of them had folks, but you realize that some of these people live two, three, four, five, six hours from Denver. So it's almost impossible for them to, you know, work these types of markets. Obviously, you have the produce folks with a bigger presence. So, you know, how do we, you know, make that connection that you get at the farmer's market by talking directly with the people raising these animals? And, and how do we bring that to, you know, a demographic like Denver when these people live in Gunnison and Hotchkiss and, you know, the Grand Junction area and other areas where they're, they're not necessarily accessible to this. And so that was really a, a big driver was what can we do to bring that market to people year round? So obviously very seasonal here, you know, May through October, maybe in the farmer's market season. And, and we wanted to figure out a way to, to deliver that year round and, and home delivery was the answer. And um, it really helped these folks because they were dealing with local restaurants and, you know, sometimes having to even take their animals to auction just because there wasn't a market for them to do this without shipping stuff. So uh, we've given them a fantastic outlet and, and their businesses have grown uh, alongside ours. So it's been great to see them, um, you know, putting money back into their community and, and helping um, grow their business as we grow ours. So it's been a, a great win-win for all involved. Yeah, that's amazing. And so you guys are kind of like touching on this a little bit here, um, you know, in between words, but I'd love to get the specifics out of like, where do your meats actually come from? Which farms specifically do you guys source your meat from? And, and what exactly is your business model? Obviously, I know this because I, we buy meat from you guys. Um, we get it delivered to our doorstep every day. But I think most people listening to this podcast are probably most familiar with like Butcher Box, where it's a similar model, but it's not local. It's not like, you know, one-on-one -on -one relationships, like the sourcing's not as great. So like, what makes you guys stand out? What is your business model and where do you source your meat from exactly? Cause it is from just for everybody listening, like you guys do source meat from, from multiple farms in the Colorado area that are regenerative agriculture based, um, based farms. So uh, yeah, if you could just elaborate on that a little bit, I'd love to share that info with everybody listening who might be in Colorado or national that are just looking for high quality meat to, to get. Yeah, as a, the business, uh, we call it farm to door delivery. So we work directly with the farms. There's no distribution channels uh, in between. And then we work with the small local processors uh, that do, do the USDA processing. So 
we, we really cut out a lot of the steps that are in the typical food supply chain, where often it can change hands two, three, four times before it hits a grocery store shelf or, or another marketplace. So I uh, really tried to streamline that and work directly with those folks. So um, we, you know, I guess pride ourselves on transparency in the sense that the, the farm's label is on, on the packaging. So you know what farm it came from. And uh, we want to, you know, promote their brand uh, more so than ours in the sense that they're the ones doing the hard work out in the fields uh, every day with these animals and, and putting that sweat equity in. And, and we've partnered with them to help bring that to market here in a, in a larger uh, metropolitan area being Denver. But um, that's really kind of the concept of this. And, and the idea, as Andrew mentioned, is a lot of folks to, to get this type of meat, you were having to commit to buying a half, a whole, a quarter cow, a large upfront investment, a lot of storage uh, required for that. And uh, our idea with this was we still buy whole animal, but we're able to divide that up into more manageable size uh, baskets for the average consumer. So we have baskets that are geared for kind of singles or, or couples or, you know, roommates uh, type situations all the way up to large families that, you know, need to feed four or five, six people. So we've tried to gear baskets that kind of hit um, uh, the different type of uh, household needs. Uh, in that, and also, you know, providing a greater variety. You, you buy a half a cow, you only got a half a cow. Um, but by having pork, beef, lamb, uh, poultry, we've added seafood in in the fall. Uh, we have a whole seafood line now. Um, eggs and and some of our baskets do veggies. Just gives you a, a greater variety than than committing to buying that uh, that uh, whole animal uh, directly from the farm, which is absolutely a viable uh, option for many folks. And and we do help support that through our farmers, but a lot of folks like the more manageable uh, quantities that we provide in our baskets. Yeah, some of the specific um, farms are like at Gunnison is like I mentioned earlier is Parker Pastures, um, Bill and Kelly, uh, Toby at Colorado Pasture Pork and Hotchkiss has been like a really great partner from the get go. And he, I kind of like that one because he, when we first started, so he does true pastured pork um, in Hotchkiss. Uh, he has like, you know, 80 acres along the Gunnison, uh, North Fork, the Gunnison River. It's like the most like it's looks like it looks like the like a postcard when you go out there it's so awesome but he um he rotates them through fields he's done things like plant you know fields of turnips and radishes and you know he's tried different things it, it, so they do forage quite a bit um he, they do get some supplemental feed but like he he does a really good job with the pasture pork and when we first started um we were like scouring for that and there wasn't like it was very it was like hard to find um and honestly i think we've been approached by now like five or six different pasture pork guys um since then and it's a good sign it's because i think there's just more of a market for it toby's getting a lot of calls from other people in the state um is individuals and other company you know there's just more interest and and you know that's like the goal and they're they're you know if we support them there's going to be more of them um and he's doing a really excellent job. Um, Sky Pilot Farms in Longmont, um, like Boulder, outside of Boulder there, Craig and Chloe are doing an awesome job with pasture pork and, and uh, lamb as well. Um, so we started working with them. Um, we do, uh, we, we have a handful, we, uh, Sangre's Best, we've, we've used some of Elan's beef for sure. Um, and we're always like looking, you know, you know, at some other suppliers and people are doing stuff right. And, you know, we have our core, our core kind of group, but, but, you know, we, we, um, we're happy that it's kind of expanding and then there's more options out there as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so as you guys continue to grow and expand and even with the farms that you've already chosen to take on into the, you know, into pasture provisions already, do you guys have like a specific vetting process or quality of standard, like the farm is yeah. it regenerative? Does it have to be a certain thing? Like what's the, what's the vetting process for you guys? Yeah. So we, uh, we, we try like, we, we go and visit, you know, um, and with the beef we you know we wanted who's doing what are they doing with grass-fed and finished so that was like our that was like our thing where what location are they so like what sort of grasses are they getting how well is the land managed um and then we really like uh you know are they paying for to be gap certified um if they like bill and kelly have got four cattle um so not everybody pay and like i don't think that's a end-all be-all if you know the the farm um, because they might not pay for it, but it doesn't mean that they're not treating the animals like, you know, really well. So it's like animal welfare standards. Uh, like Toby with the pigs, he, when they're piglets, I mean, he sleeps in a tent for like oh, quite a while until they're big enough. Like he like lives with them, you know? So like, I just love all that. And I, I see the pictures and text messages when we visit. Um, so yeah, but I mean, Bill's a good example. They do a a, a lot with like the savory institute and i've i mean i'm by no means an expert but i've learned a lot um listening to him about the way they graze their cattle and the small groups and they rotate and how much they let them graze and the kind of biodiversity of the soil and you know he's looking at the mushrooms and the you know like the, all you kind of everything that's going on um i don't know i i feel like after talking to a lot of them across the state um i don't know if there's like a definite checklist where I'm like this has to be this but it's you kind of get a good feeling about like yeah these guys are doing these guys are doing a really good job awesome, awesome. yeah to, to add to that seeing is believing right uh, uh, visiting one of these farms is worth a thousand words or or, or more because you, you get to understand where they came from and where they are uh, a great example was sky pilot they took over a what was a traditional row crop farm I mean it was scorched earth kind of you know, there wasn't a lot of ground cover, a lot of things growing between the, the seasons that they row cropped. And we're walking through this field and I was literally stumbling because the grass was, was knee high and so thick. I was, I could, I could hardly walk through it. And, and that was a transformation that took place in a matter of a couple of years by just putting animals on the land and allowing the land to, uh, to heal and not be killed under every year by, uh, you know, mechanized equipment. And it was just kind of amazing to hear, you know, in such a short period of time, how much the uh, the land had improved uh, on where they ranched. And, and same with Bill and Kelly have similar stories of, of the land that they took over and lease actually from the city of Gunnison that were just kind of barren open space land. And now it's grazed and it's just lush and has a lot more biodiversity. And they just got an Autobahn certification for you know the amount of uh, 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 bird species and stuff that reside on the land that they farm. So it's just really cool to, to kind of hear those stories, but you know, you almost have to see it to believe it in a way um, uh, in the sense of just experiencing that um, in person. Yeah, absolutely. And Sue and I, and a handful of friends, I know you guys know this already. And I, I did a podcast with Bobby Gill who works for Savory Institute, but we got to visit one of their ranches um, two years ago. And it was like crazy to see pictures of that ranch, like before it was, holistically managed and just learn more about Savory Institute and like just planetary health and regenerative agriculture and the importance of this work. Um, and just, you know, this perfect segue, but we're going to jump into a new topic here. I'm like, I want to just kind of, you know, 
go to the punching bag with you guys on this for a second, but let's debunk the problems with plant-based meats um, and plant-based meat products in general. So give us your unfiltered thoughts on like, what the hell is going on? Is it good for you? Is it not good for you? What about from like a, you know, rancher standpoint, food quality standpoint, planetary standpoint? I mean, I think most people know how I feel. I think it's a load of crap, but curious what you guys think. <laughs> I, I echo your, your crap because it's processed crap. I mean, I don't know if you could find a more processed food on the market than baked meat. I mean, when you look at just how refined it is, the chemical extraction processes that are having to be used in the oils, uh, that they're, you know, the canola oil and other things that are going into it, just the amount of land and water it takes to, to grow all that crop that goes into making this highly processed baked meat. Uh, I, I don't get it, to be honest. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I think time will tell on this. Um, uh, obviously folks who don't eat meat obviously want to, to I guess, experience meat. I, I don't necessarily follow that either. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're not a fan of eating meat and you want something that looks and tastes like it, but it doesn't have meat, I, I guess don't fully understand the concept of that, but uh, uh, not, not, bashing anyone who chooses or needs to be vegan or vegetarian by any means, but I, I just feel like there's organic and better options out there than, you know, what we're seeing with some of the, the major brands in the space today. Um, and uh, I don't think that thing organically uh, with that, that I'm aware of. So. Yeah. I think the, the meat industry is taking like a beating lately. Um, I think it's like just being painted with too broad of a brush. Um, you know, what we're talking about that we do is a world away from some of the large commodity feedlot, you know, cattle operations and things. Um, it, you know, you, it, a lot of it has to do with climate change. And, um, you know, there's a lot of carbon sequestration that goes on in a regenerative ranch um, when the soil, you know, is the, the, um, soils kept healthy and, and there's like a good variety of grasses and you know we've seen a lot of things like that but the yeah I don't know it's it's really processed <laughs> I, I I I don't know how much to say about it I I'm not a, I hate it <laughs> yeah I mean it's pretty terrible all around like I think from from a health standpoint it's terrible from a planetary standpoint it's terrible I think we can all agree. I think everybody listening to this podcast can agree and the three of us included that like conventional agriculture is terrible. It's also not the number one contributor to climate change, planetary health. Like I just shared this on Instagram like a week ago that like the biggest problem is transportation and the, you know, fossil fuels and all sorts of different things that put way more CO2 into the atmosphere than animals and people have all sorts of different reasons why they're choosing to be vegan vegetarian choose not to eat meat you know for a lot of people it could be a religious reason or a cultural reason um it could also just be from an ethical standpoint if people just don't believe in you know killing animals and that's totally fine but i think from like a nutritional standpoint and a nutrient density standpoint and a human evolution standpoint and an ecosystem standpoint and a climate change standpoint. Like, I think we can all agree whether you're consuming the meat or not. I think the, the highest quality standard that we can go from is regenerative agriculture because it does sequester CO2 from the atmosphere, which means it's pulling CO2 from the atmosphere back into the earth. It's like this beautiful natural organic cycle of like literally how the earth is created to function. It's based on nature. That's what 
regenerative agriculture is based on. And so um, I think it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's really fascinating to see like all of the policy that is going on right now. And like, I mean, Bill Gates has an ungodly amount of money. He's the no single largest landowner in the entire US. And he did a 60 minutes a couple months ago before all of this, like, you know, all this crap with um, everything else that he's got going on in his life right now. I feel like there's a lot of like public and behind the scenes thing going on for him right now. But I mean, he's been pushing, uh, you know, synthetic meat products, plant-based meat products onto the market super intensely. He's also the largest landowner. So in my mind, I'm like, I think we all need to, you know, not be going down conspiracy theory rabbit holes, but we also need to be asking ourselves like, okay, what actually is the healthiest option? What actually makes the most sense from a scientific standpoint, from a health standpoint, from an ecological standpoint, and not just blindly follow, um, you know, what like somebody who's got a lot of money, who's doing a lot of different things, who claims, you know, certain health policy that like, I, in my opinion, is just like simply not true. And anybody who's well-educated in the work that you guys do or like conversations I've had with Bobby and you know, farmers and ranchers that are, you know, on the ground doing this work, it's like, there's no way that this is like healthier or that monocropping is better. Or, you know, like, I think we're, what do we have? Like, there's only 60 more harvests left um, before we start like running out of the ability to have enough food to <laughs> keep up with like, you know, the population and farming. I mean, it's terrifying. So these conversations are, they're, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, perspectives, opinions, um, policy there's money thrown in there's science thrown in and i think like we all just you know the greatest impact we have is how we vote with our dollars every day and i think the more we can support local and regenerative like we're i think we're headed in the right direction um no matter what your you know political stance is or no matter what your choice of eating your food might be but i think most people can probably agree that regenerative agriculture whether you're consuming those animals or not is like just a great thing for everyone involved yeah, and, and I mean, it happened at the local level too. I was uh, in Steamboat on March 20th when the uh, the meat out day was called uh, locally here, and it was great. I walked down Main Street in Steamboat, and there was a giant banner hanging over Main Street saying, you know, support your local farmers, time to meet in, you know, basically is what it said. And it's, you know, it's such a big part of, of Colorado's, you know, heritage, uh, being a Western state, it's a big part of our GDP. And and I think there's a big misnomer. I mean, obviously, conventional farming has room for improvement um, in in all aspects, but conventionally farmed and raised beef is on grass a large portion of its life, you know, before it goes to the feedlot. That's where things kind of start to turn upside down and, and they start to fatten them up on, on grains, which often are not, you know, uh, of very high quality. But you know, the majority of that animal's life is spent on pasture. Um, pork and poultry, a, a very different story where, where those are often raised in confinement. And I, I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen there. And, and that's why we've, you know, partnered with who we do, because they do think differently. But um, that, that broad brush, um, yeah, it's upsetting in a way. I think there's a lot of hot air there. And, and a lot of people subscribe to, you know, what's being put out there by, you know, folks like Bill Gates or whomever else that have a, a political microphone or a microphone because of, you know, wealth or other reasons that, you know, aren't necessarily telling the whole story or, or using that broad brush just to paint everyone into a corner. And I think that's a little bit wrong just because there, there's so much good work being done and it's a slap in the face to the, uh, the folks that have invested and changed their, their approach, which is happening 
every day if you ever watch the movie Kiss the Ground. There's farms converting to regenerative agriculture across this country on a daily basis. So uh, there, there's a groundswell there, and um, we hope that momentum continues because I, I think it will just help uh, the overall health of, of everyone uh, in the country as well as uh, the health of the environment and, um, and, and put us as a, you know, continue us as an agricultural leader uh, in the world here, but, but doing it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like, you know, the, to just say that, you know, beef is the problem or like Epicurious fully, fully pulling beef out of recipes. And like, I know a few other restaurants have stepped forward with that. And it's like, you know, like you're saying, it's like these broad strokes and it's like, okay, well, it's not, you know, there's a saying in regenerative agriculture that it's not the cow, it's the how, um, which is, you know, super, super important. And I think that's, you know, the biggest thing that I'm excited to share today and the work that you guys are doing is that you guys really do focus on that. You focus on the how of how these farmers are, are raising. And I mean, even just you mentioning your process that like the amount of hands that are touching this meat and in packaging and in transportation before it's actually getting to the customer, like that's huge in and of itself. Like not only is it local, but like you're not having to drive things around nearly as much like you're just like this model is like super super unique and i think there's a lot of other areas in the country that would benefit from this type of um you know csa so to speak that's a little bit more broad reaching that's you know it's pretty it's pretty amazing and do you guys deliver your meat nationally or is it just local to colorado well we just focus on colorado um, we, we've looked at the model and we know some other firms that are, are shipping out of state and it is incredibly expensive. One, the, the freight, uh, cause you got to do an overnight two day max. Um, but the packaging material, I mean, you got a box, you got insulation, you've got dry ice. Uh, there's just a lot of, of excess material that goes into it. And with our local business model, we use uh, reusable bags, reusable ice packs, you know, the meat goes inside of a, a uh, another reusable bag within the bag. So really the only waste uh, or thing that isn't easily recyclable is the actual packaging the meat comes in. Uh, obviously for safety, it needs to have, you know, a, a high quality uh, vacuum seal uh, packaging on it. But um, other than that, everything else is reusable uh, or recyclable within the packaging. And, and um, you know, we get dozens and dozens of uses out of our bags um, in most cases before they start to deteriorate just from wear and tear. So um, we'll, we'll likely stick with that model going forward uh, just due to the cost and the, the waste that comes along with shipping. Gotcha. Awesome. And tell us about the, so the, the new products that you guys have now you have, um, I know you mentioned like some of the, the vegetables. I know you guys are doing eggs. You guys also have the fish that you recently introduced, but um, I know the Denver Bone Broth Company you guys are collaborating with now. So tell tell us a little bit more about the Bone Broth and like whatever new products you guys have going on at the moment. Yeah. You want to talk about Bone Broth? You just talk, you just met with them. I'll talk about the broth. You can talk about the, the fish. So, um, so yeah, so uh, Patrick uh, over at Denver Bone Broth um, just launched the business in March. And uh, he had found us uh, through Instagram and reached out and, and we made a connection and he dropped off some samples at my house. And I uh, just a really high energy fun guy and um big kind of connection because before we started pasture provisions i think we spent probably a month of time trying to figure out how we could do a broth business um and and bring you know a high quality you know bone broth uh, to market and and, and we kind of realized that we wanted to be more in the meat business and doing the whole animal versus um, 
a product, a finished product like that. So there was a kind of this, uh, you know, reminiscing on on a business idea of past um, and working with him. But he uh, he leverages, you know, organic ingredients. He uses like a gap to uh, chicken product, um, you know, in that. So he's got really high quality ingredients and it just you can tell a lot of love goes into the product. It's um, incredibly gelatinous, which is what a bone broth should be great flavor profile it's it's really designed to be, to be more of a sipping broth it's a little expensive to be cooking with but um heck, i put it in some ramen the other day and it was absolutely delicious so uh we're, we're excited to do that and, and we're looking for more artisan producers and we've got a lot of connections around town here uh, to start expanding that portfolio of specialty products uh as we go into the summer here and, and bringing more um unique uh, Denver made products to market uh, uh, with our, our various relationships and partnerships. So that's kind of how the bone broth and I'll let Andrew talk about how uh, the uh, seafood uh, came about. Awesome. Yeah, so the seafood was tricky for us because it obviously isn't local. Um, but I, we got a lot of questions from our customers about it. Uh, we got a lot of, we, I, we kept getting fielding emails and calls about if we were going to carry any fish and this and that. So I have a connection, um, a family connection, a, a brother-in-law actually, um, uh, to Wixter Seafood um, that was out of Chicago. Um, but he does like a, most of the sourcing for them. Um, so I was, I felt really, you know, we talked through it and there's a number, you know, we don't carry every skew of theirs, but we carry uh, uh, quite a few. And he's like, I think we can, you know, you know, maybe kind of enlighten me on some of the how they go about finding it what the whole process is and we were like yeah let's give it a shot so we i you know i'm i'm really happy with it so far um there's a lot of transparency with it um seafood can get tricky but we're pretty happy we're you know really thrilled with like the attention that these guys pay to it and i feel like i have a pretty good beat on on uh, the, all their sourcing standards and they, they prominently, you know, we'll talk about it and display it and that type of thing. So we, we decided to go ahead and by popular demand include seafood. So now, yeah, Wixter seafood is what we're carrying now and we're, we're pretty excited about it. That's awesome. Hell yeah. And is that like a wild caught, you know? Yeah. So I think we carry wild caught um, and there's, it ranges. It'll say like, you know, uh, where it was from. Um, you know, whether it be like Alaskan salmon or, you know, uh, like they do like an American, like Gulf shrimp, um, you know, there, there's halibut, we carry uh, uh, sea bass. So there, there's quite a few skews, but it, it'll, it'll tell you where it's from and, and kind of like the certifications behind it um, on the packaging. Awesome. Hell yeah. Well, it's cool to see that you guys are like, you know, growing intentionally, not too quickly, but at a pace that feels good where the quality standard is still set and you're still supporting and encouraging other local businesses and artisans. Like, I think it's somewhat rare these days to find a company in general that's not like, oh my God, we gotta scale it. We gotta, you know, throw all the money into it and get all of the biggest, most intense things set up. Like, I think it's really awesome that you guys have kind of kept it, um, you know, you've kept it humble, you've kept it honest. And I mean, I definitely, like Stu and I love your products. We've always been happy with them. And we've tried a few different boxes that you guys offer. We've gone from like the, you know, just your, your typical, you know, family box. We've picked our own things out. We've added specialty items when they come up, we've done all sorts of different things and we've been happy with, with every single little bit of it. I will say, and this is user error, but we bought a um, corned beef brisket from you guys, but I was like, 
planning on making it like a normal brisket and we destroyed it because we didn't like do the boiling and like the corned beef and we were like so bummed but my dad that was like the only fail that we had but now we know for next year but I realized like the day before Easter I was like this is a corned beef brisket this is not like a fat capped big brisket we should be throwing on the smoker but my dad has a um a big green egg and he's like so talented with smoking any type of meat and so we threw it on there and like did it as best as we could and it was like salvageable but like we pretty much destroyed it so hard lesson learned there which was like not ideal um but anyway shifting into another topic here what do you feel like the biggest challenges are that you guys are facing when it comes to you know the aspect of regenerative agriculture or um you know just pushing pushing this this knowledge and information forward like have you guys run into like growing pains or like educational gaps or what types of uh, issues are you running into with consumers or, you know, really anything across the board? Yeah, I think the education piece is, is probably the biggest one. Um, we're not going to be regularly doing the South Pearl Street market this year just due to staffing and kind of you know, needing to manage with the growth of the home delivery business, but we will be there from time to time. But that was uh, enormous to be able to sit there and have a conversation with someone and, and answer the questions they have and educate them on, you know, why this meat was different and, and the care and the love that the, the producers put into it. Um, so, you know, we talked, I think, a lot about kind of a, a lot of hot air that's out there today um, around just meat in general and, and kind of forging through that. I, I had a customer call me two days ago and said, hey, can we omit red meat going forward? We're, we're worried about the environmental impact. And I'm like, well, that's the whole reason we do the red meat we do. And uh, we had a great conversation and, and I pointed him to some resources there, but you know, it was interesting as a, an existing client had been receiving our product for some time. Um, I don't know what article or what thing they watch, but all of a sudden, you know, they were uh, kind of under the, the, the guise that, you know, the red meat was, you know, going to destroy the earth here. And, um, you know, we had a great conversation and gave them some resources and they're still a client today. And they just said, Hey, right. Well, maybe we'll just reduce the amount of red meat we get. So, um, you know, fair enough. So I think it's just, you know, uh, getting past the, the, the media hype and everything that's out there and, and getting down to brass tacks and really understanding that there's a larger percentage by the day of folks doing regenerative and, and doing things that are positive for the environment, producing a healthier product uh, as well. You know, just the, the, the content of the vitamins and nutrients and omega six versus threes and grass fed and finished meat versus uh, grain finished is, is, is quite astounding. And there's a lot of studies out there that, you know, people can go research on why that's more nutritionally dense. But, uh, you know, one of the other areas I'll let Andrew talk about is just kind of the infrastructure to support this um, as big ag and big meat have consolidated the industry so much and consolidated the processing so much. Uh, Andrew can kind of talk about some of the challenges that these smaller farmers face with just getting their product processed to get it to the consumer. That was probably, that was a big, we, it really came to light during COVID, like kind of the first wave there, uh, whenever that was. Um, but we had, then there was like a meat shortage on top of it. Anyway, yeah. we had, so we use all these smaller, smaller scale processors and there's really not that many of them in the state. There's, there's, there's a few, but there's not like a ton. Um, and they just got over totally overwhelmed. People are trying to buy meat wherever they can. And, you know, when the commodity, like commercial stuff is like having an issue, I mean, 
when there was that uh, a COVID outbreak at one of those major pork processing plants, I, I forget what state, but it was like a large percentage, like nine or 10% of like the pork in the United States, like was affected. And that's like coming through one facility. Um, the processors we deal with, I, I think are like, you know, if, if they're doing, if we're talking about cows, it's be like might process like, what do you think JT, like 12 a day? Something like that would be like- Probably, yeah. Like max capacity. So it's just, a, it's a lot different. Um, that's a challenge and, and I'd like to see that improved. And I there's some other people like us that are doing, there's some newer meat startups and things in, in Colorado that are, that are helping that and giving some more processing options. Um, you know, there, there was a shortage of meat, but there wasn't a shortage of cows or pigs on the ground. It was just getting it, getting it processed. Um, so there's a few things like that, um, you know, that's been a logistical challenge for us and for everybody. And it'll help, I think, with, you know, some expansion of that in Colorado, it'll help a lot of these ranchers, you know, they have a hard time getting dates. They have to schedule, it was really hard for them to plan. It's, it's, it, you know, there's some challenges that I think will be improving. Just like I said earlier with the, you know, there used to be one pasture pig guy that we knew and now there's like a good handful. Um, I think it's going in the right direction. Yeah. And so with that, you know, these issues that I feel like COVID really like shed light on just a bunch of different things in our personal lives and you know, nationally, internationally of like, maybe some things it's like, oh, maybe we should, we should like be rethinking some of these things, like on all sorts of different levels of the scale. Do you guys feel like this, um, you know, I mean, I, I had no idea that that was like 10% of the national production. I don't know if it was exactly that, but it was really high. Like it was, it was like, I remember I heard it and was like, are you kidding me? That was like one facility. And that's for the entire United States. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that just feels, I feel like, especially from the industrial, because this all started in the industrialization era, right? Like the creating the industrialization of processing meat, industrializing the process of food processing in general. That's literally where processed foods come from. So, I mean, do you guys feel like we need to kind of like, like, where do we go from this? Do we like take a step backwards? Do we need more like small farmers? Do we need more businesses like you guys to sustain like the, the quality and the, you know, the amount the quality and the quantity of the food that we're going to be needing moving forward like do you guys think we need to have like a shift away from conventional meat like what do you like what gives what what are your thoughts on like this these these challenges in the industry at at large well it's a big it's a big question because i mean we were talking about feeding the map like i mean we're pretty niche um yeah really when you talk about feeding like the masses i mean yeah there has to be a large food infrastructure in place um and how do you do that better? Um, you, you know, you can't just open up a whole bunch of small processors in every town and it, it's not really going to work. There's got to be some, you know, but the more, but you can improve the way that the animals are raised and you can, you can improve, you, you can diversify it more. Um, and, it, you know, you can make it more regional. Um, I think local is important um, and not just consulting consolidating everything into you know these massive like you know you, you it could be it could be localized a lot more i think would be a large step in the right direction gotcha. yeah I, I think we'll see more decentralization over time i mean uh, there's a, a technology book long ago called the big switch and it, it goes through from the industrial revolution through a lot of time where things centralized and decentralized and uh, i think right now meat 
production is very centralized, right? There's, you know, really four or five large companies that control the majority of the, the meat production and, and the meat that goes to market. Um, but as people start to, um, you know, support more local agriculture and, and put, you know, start to vote with those dollars, as we talked about earlier, that's going to put more money into the local economy and give people the opportunity to be entrepreneurs and, and open or expand processing capabilities uh, in these regional, um, you know, centers um, in the rural areas of America and give, you know, e-commerce and a lot of ways to get that product to market that just weren't very easy to do, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And, and now there's a lot easier way to one market that and, and two, you know, obviously we can ship stuff just about to every corner of, this, of the, the country here. So uh, I think we're going to see it. It's going to take time. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously as people um, invest more uh, in their health and invest more in their local communities, uh, we're going to see this grow um, and, and start to, you'll see that decentralization, I think, taking place, but definitely not going to happen overnight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, since we're talking about just like the education gap as being one of the biggest things, um, you know, just from the consumer standpoint, what are some of the, you know, the most common resources you find yourself like citing or sending to people or referring people to? So if there's anybody listening to this podcast, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I want to learn a little bit more about these things and, you know, how, how JT and Andrew like learned all this stuff. Like what are some of those major resources that people listening to this podcast can go either watch, read, listen to, et cetera? I think uh, we've mentioned the Parkers numerous times, Bill and Kelly uh, and, and their kids as well. It's a family operation. Uh, Chloe uh, is, is very heavily involved and we work directly with her, um, uh, particularly on the lambs, but they are just a wealth of knowledge and, and they bought, uh, they, I guess, uh, went in with the Savory Institute long ago. Uh, Cold Harbor is the name of their uh, group within it. Um, they've traveled to Africa. They've invested their lives behind this. And we've learned an enormous amount. We've got about, a, I think about a 30 minute podcast we did with them uh, up on our site. So it's a great resource. If you go into our suppliers, there's a, a SoundCloud link uh, where you can listen to the, their journey and how regenerative agriculture, you know, helped the health of one of their children and, and has really, you know, guided their lives, you know, um, over the past decade or so as they've uh, and or more since they've embarked in this journey. So really good resource there. Um, Kiss the Ground, I think is a phenomenal documentary um, that came out uh, last year, really does talk about regenerative and, and the carbon sequestration that can happen and, and really the impact that is possible with even a small percentage of global farmers going down that path, the, the reversal of, you know, man-made pollution could be enormous. So I thought that movie was really great on kind of covering those topics and how there's a difference between dirt and soil. And, and you know, it wasn't all about animals, but it was just about general agriculture. Um, the next one I'm diving into, I just picked up the book the other day at uh, Natural Grocers is Sacred Cow. Uh, I know they do have their documentary out. I've yet to watch it. So that one's uh, high on my list. Um, so I can't talk to it yet, but um, I know uh, the Parkers and some other folks have given it rave reviews. Uh, and then, you know, of course, there's the Savory Institute here uh, based in Boulder that, uh, that has a wealth of knowledge and, and resources on their webpage and um, through some of their efforts as well. So uh, lots of good stuff out there. You're, you're well-versed in, in where else to go there, but um, I encourage folks to educate themselves on uh, regenerative agriculture and, and local agriculture and how that can uh, impact um, the local communities uh, around them. Awesome. 
Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's super helpful. And we'll pull all of that into the show notes for everyone for like a quick, quick link. If you're listening to this, you can bop over to the, the blog post for this podcast episode and all those links will be there. Um, so what is the, just to kind of round things out here, what is the number one thing that you want people to take home with them after listening to this podcast or like top, you know, top one to three. I feel like sometimes I'm like, what's the number one thing? And people are usually like, I've got like five things. So whatever number feels great, whatever info you guys want to share, like what, what's the takeaway that you want people to, you know, remember from this episode with you guys? Support. I think one thing is, is people to uh, ask them where, where their food comes from. When you go to the grocery store, can you really tell where your food comes from? Or, or a lot of other outlets. And um, I think, you know, if we challenge folks to ask that question of themselves and become more conscious about where their food comes from, and actually understand, you know, if it's local, where, what the farm is, where they're located, what they're growing or raising practices are, uh, they'll very quickly become educated on, you know, what regenerative and organic agriculture uh, really means. And, and uh, you know, having that connection, I think, is uh, is very valuable. So that's one thing to folks to take home but andrew yeah no just uh i i'm just such a big proponent of staying you know as local as you can um you know or or regional but just you know supporting the people and the communities um around you and, and you know you're gonna end up getting more good stuff to you know to purchase it's going to be, there's going to be, the farmer's markets are better and the, you know, there's guys like us that can, that can work. And, um, you know, it's just more in touch, just more in touch with your supply chain. Um, you know, I just think that's everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and where can people connect with you guys? What's your website? Um, how can people sign up for pasture provisions if they are local to Colorado? Yeah, so pastureprovisionsco.com, pastureprovisionsco.com is our website. Um, You can shop in two areas on the website. There's a marketplace, which is like one-time orders, um, which we deliver, um, or uh, the the subscriptions section where you can sign up for one of our boxes. Um, You can also add things on to boxes and kind of, um, you know, create custom orders like that as well. Awesome. And your guys, your Instagram handle is pasture provisions. We'll pull that into the show notes as well. Um, so people can, uh, you guys. Pasture provisions co. Pasture provisions co. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. Well, and we'll then, uh, yeah, if anyone interested in signing up, uh, eat local, uh, all one word is a uh, uh, code for 20% off uh, your first subscription order. So folks can use that, uh, on the site uh, to get a discount on their first delivery. Awesome. Hell yeah. We'll pull all of that into the notes. And um, I can't thank you guys enough for spending the time to have a little conversation with me about regenerative agriculture, conventional agriculture, fake meat. What's the deal? Hopefully people learned a handful of things here. And uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for delivering us like the the best, most highest quality meat. Um, We love it. The flavor is great. And um, Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found something encouraging, supportive, educational, or inspirational from tuning in today. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast or left us a review, I would love to hear from you. 
You can keep in touch with me over on Instagram at whatkate8 or connect with me through my website at katecroll.com. Looking forward to our next episode and I hope you have a wonderful day.